You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. We're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit, um, the function of the Holy Spirit, uh, and what a I mean, what a, what a fitting topic to discuss, and uh, I, I hate to call it a topic. The Holy Spirit's not a topic. The Holy yeah. Spirit is a person. Amen. But what a fitting discussion to have in light of a day where we've, we have so much going on in our world that is being attributed to the Holy Spirit, when in fact, that doesn't seem to line up with what the scripture says about that. So as always, you know, these are discussions. These aren't sermons. We, we definitely welcome feedback and um, that kind of thing is, is expected and, and welcomed and appreciated. But we want to just talk for a little bit on this particular subject. And one of the things I did in preparation for this, guys, is I read, I started reading, I shouldn't say I read it, but I read this classic book by R.A. Torre uh, called The Holy Spirit, Who He Is and What He Does. Do you guys own that book? Have you read it before? I own it. No. It's on the shelf behind me. I have not read it. Yeah, how many books do you have, Tom? 2,281 or something like that. Oh, wow. You actually know close to the exact number. That's that's pretty cool. So what happened is I started being in used bookstores and buying the same book over again that I already owned, only I didn't know it. Yeah. So I paid my daughter to put all of my books onto Goodreads. So if uh, I'm in a used bookstore, I can pull up Goodreads and it will my, my Goodreads shelf and it will tell me if I already own a book. So it, it has saved me a bunch of money. So that's why I know exactly how many books I own. Wow. That's good. Actually, I, I think I did read that book, but it was when I was a teenager. Um, so it's been a while. You know what book I read when I was a teenager that really helped me along this same line is John Rice's book on the Holy Spirit. That's tremendous. Yep. I know this is not... You know, we're, we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, not about books, but but John R. Rice's work on the Holy Spirit yep. is large, thorough, compassionate. I, I don't agree with everything in it. Even didn't back then, but it really helped me. The, I think it's the power of the power of Pentecost or something like that. And if I'm not mistaken, John R. Rice was a student of Tories in a lot of ways, or he, he was a follower in the sense that he he studied his works, I believe. So I'd be curious actually to maybe read that one next and see but you know he starts it off as you would expect just dealing with kind of the the doctrinal aspect of the holy spirit and the one thing that he zeroes in on right away is he says you know the holy spirit is not a feeling and emotion the holy spirit is a person and that changes mm-hmm. the perspective of of how you view the holy spirit in a huge way i, I loved one of the thing and i'm going to paraphrase because i don't i'm not the book's not open it's on my desk but it's not open and he mentioned every Sunday getting up to speak, being tense, being, you know, we would call, we'd say stressed out about his sermon. And then, uh, get, you know, getting out of the pulpit and realize, oh no, I have a limited number of days before I have to speak again. And just the constant pressure of that. And I thought, oh, I can relate. I mean, you know, we're all pastors here. But then he said, that's all changed for me once I began to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. That literally comes alongside, he said. And so when I realized that the Holy Spirit was standing next to me in the pulpit, it revolutionized my preaching. 
So the effect of the Holy Spirit is not small. His effect is Mm -hmm. tremendous. I would argue understanding that not only revolutionizes preaching in the pulpit, it revolutionizes how you live. That's right. Isn't that what the apostle said? Grieve not the spirit. It's that, it's that consciousness, you know, those synonyms of abiding in Christ and those same sorts of ideas that if the Holy spirit is really here with me and Mm -hmm. I'm doing this thing and he is grieved, well, he's a person and it matters. Well, the Bible says in John 16, it says, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Every time the Holy Spirit's referenced by Jesus, he's referenced as a person. And I've heard people take that very verse and say that we shouldn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a total injustice to that verse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's what John is saying there or what Jesus is saying no. there at all. That's where the emphasis lies, isn't it? Yes. What do you mean? Well, it, it's not that we don't speak of the Holy Spirit, but we don't exclude Jesus at the, you know, that, uh, at the cost of emphasizing the Holy Spirit, which tends oh, to right, happen yeah. in a lot of like Pentecostal circles. Uh, they will emphasize the Holy Spirit to the exclusion of excluding you know, to the exclusion of the word and, and Jesus himself. And I think that's part of the reason why we as independent Baptists probably don't emphasize the Holy Spirit enough, not only because he's not real to us as a person, but also because we view the Pentecostals as doing it too much. And mm-hmm. so our, right. our classic overreaction, we're going to head right into the ditch on the other side of the road and not talk about him at all. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's just, and that's, that's human nature. Yeah, in right. so many ways. I mean, it. Uh, I, I I am a cessationist, and I don't want to jump the gun and talk about that too soon because I know we want to talk about it. But, um, but I think we jump the gun when our our doctrine of cessation is oftentimes built based on reaction. Oh, toward yeah. those who have abused the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So, so that you know that just we have to temper all things by what the Bible says, what the scripture clearly articulates. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of flipping through here. I love the thought of John 14 because it talks about how Jesus said, I'm going away. But then he said, I will send you a comforter, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So I've always explained to our church anytime I've spoken of this particular topic, and I, I need to do more preaching and teaching on it, that when Jesus was giving this, he was saying that the Holy Spirit is a more than adequate replacement for his physical presence in the world. Yes. They were they were mm-hmm. distraught by the thought of his uh, departure, uh, the absence of his physical presence. And he said, oh, no. And I, I don't want to I don't want to misspeak here because I don't think the Holy Spirit is better or the son is better or the father is better, obviously. But it, it was almost as if he was saying, you're not going to miss anything. You, you will have all that you need in my spirit, and he will not leave you comfortless. Um, so that's a, I mean, that, that right there, to me, challenges me to put more emphasis on the Holy Ghost in my life, but to be biblical in the process of doing so. Even the revelation of, of understanding Jesus through the word, through the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, um, Peter would say that whom having not seen, you love. So there's, there is something to there being a, an actual extra blessing upon those who, even though we haven't seen Jesus, we love him. And there's this, uh, you know, Peter goes on to talk about a joy unspeakable and full of glory 
And so again, it just reveals the power of the Holy Spirit and the uh, reason we need to emphasize more probably than we do. And I think that's part of the reason Jesus can make the statement in the same conversation that night, greater works than these shall you do because I go into my Father. Why? Because mm. in the process of going to the Father, he sent us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us, as you said, not a replacement for Jesus as much as everything that Jesus had and was for those apostles, the Holy Spirit can be to us. Well, it was interesting you said about he's a person, not a force. In uh, Northern Ireland, I actually met with a man who, you know, he, he had a lot of way out there theories, but he theorized and he was saying that Jesus is a force, you know, God, uh, the Holy Spirit wasn't a person, but he was a force like radar. And I'm sure he picked that up from somewhere else. Uh, but there are people out there who who do that, you know, and um, it's something to be guarded against and taught against. Right. So what are some of the the functions of the Holy Spirit from a doctrinal perspective? Obviously, he's a person. Uh, the other thing that we would, we would want to interject, I think, at the onset of this discussion is that he is God. Um, and that is very important to believe. The Holy Spirit is not independent of God. He is God. He is part of the triune being that is God. Um, He's not a secondary God. Correct. Right. Because there's only correct. one God. But he's not a secondary right. part of God. No. He's just as much I, God as Jesus is and as the Father is. I've never heard anyone um, like sufficiently explain the Trinity, and we're not going to try that in this podcast, just so everybody's aware. Come <laughs> on. Where's your sense of adventure? <laughs> oh, man. I, that gives me a stomachache just thinking about it. I'm like, man. But but I'm, I'm also resigned to the fact that that's, that's the beauty of it, is that it's so, it's so superior to our understanding but that the Holy Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. You know, you've seen that diagram, and and probably all of us have tried to explain the the Trinity in in a variety of ways. And you know, uh, the egg <laughs> that's my favorite one. Uh, I'm being sarcastic, but um, but yeah, I know, Patrick. Then yeah, I know. Yeah, we're not we're not modalists. Some of our listeners will get that, and others will not. And the ones who do. You are my people. What what was it that you said that need, we need to be reminded of? I think I was speaking over you. You said that's modalism, Patrick. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Lutheran satire. That yes, yeah, the Lutheran satire yeah, guy. Yeah. Yes, that's hilarious. Uh, that's yeah. one of the most succinct and accurate, but also hilarious discussions of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's funny. And actually, they do one on on uh, speaking in tongues as well, and they bring in C three PO. Have you seen that one? No, I don't remember. But see, when is he he like crashes into a Pentecostal church and they're like speaking in tongues. And he's like, I speak 10 million languages and that's not a language. And it's just (laughs) hilarious. And then one of them like starts speaking like a demon. And yeah, it's, it's just great, but we'll, we'll save that for uh, a side sidebar or side note here. Uh, Do you guys see that thing going around? I don't know if it's on like the Protestia. I don't remember if that's how you can pronounce it. That guy on X. Um, of the guy who was rapping in tongues. No, no, I guess I guess I was studying the Bible that day and missed that that. <laughs> oh, the only day that you weren't on Twitter this week, Tom. <laughs> yeah, tell us about your week. Airplane on Thursday is a thing, boys. I'm just telling you. You're amazing. Explain Airplane Thursday. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, not about Airplane Thursday. No, you just threw it in there. Tom is always on an airplane on Thursday. He says that he's on airplane mode. So it's always Martin and I's 
goal to like figure out how we how can we, how can we get Tom to respond to a message on Thursday? <laughs> yeah, tempt him back into the uh, the digital age. Lure him into a discussion online. Wave a Twinkie in my anyway. direction. Uh oh, ouch! I, I would have never gone there. Uh, so he, the Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit is the producer of fruit in our lives. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I like what you said, Tom, about this in the notes here, forming us into the image of Christ. Can you speak yeah, to so that? Sure. So we often seek to to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, right. etc. But it is not our fruit, it is the fruit of the Spirit, and it comes as we abide in Christ. And in a sense, it is a byproduct, if you will, of abiding in Christ and of walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so I, I, I pair that in my mind with a passage about um, how we are changed into the image of Christ. Which, where's that in Corinthians? I have a whole chapter on this in Freed from Sin. As as by, um, we're changed in the image of Christ, one image at a time or something of that nature. But I think that's how the Holy Spirit does us. He gradually forms us into the image of Christ by producing who he is in our life. Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, and so as He produces His fruit in our life, we become more like Christ. And I think I think too often as a pastor, I have sought to, not just as a Christian, try to produce that fruit in my own life, but as a pastor, sought to produce that fruit in my church. And it's not the fruit of Tom Brennan; it's the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Which Oof. doesn't mean that I don't care. Doesn't mean I shouldn't, you know, work in that direction, etc. That would be the ditch on the other side of the road. But the Holy Spirit is much better at doing His work than I am at doing His work. Amen. And what a what a statement, right? We're not the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce in people what we desire to see, and that's part of the weakness that we have to accept in our position is that we are incapable of changing a life. The Holy Spirit does that. And he is the one mm-hmm. that forms us in the image of Christ. That's that's great. Uh, one of the verses that I was reading, uh, I was looking for this verse earlier, and I, I actually went to the wrong passage. Imagine that. Um, but Tori brings out as to the the fact that Christ or the Holy Spirit rather is a person. He says this. He said the the Holy Spirit is not just a mere blinding influence or power. Because of this phrase in Romans fifteen thirty, it says, "Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit." Mm-hmm. And he said, "The Spirit of God loves you." Mm-hmm. And what an amazing thought! He said, "We've always, you know, he goes through different scenarios. These are mainly sermons. I, I learned this book is sermons, and they, he puts in the introduction that you know I've been asked to do to put these out exactly as I preach them. And I was like, I wish I could preach exactly like that, but he." Um, <laughs> He does the scenarios. He says, you know, we often think of the the fact that God loves us and God is love. And he said, we thank God for his love and that Jesus loved us. So he died for us. He said, but when's the last time you have thanked the Holy Spirit for his love? I mean, that's very, very powerful. So, Tom, you got into a bit of a sticky wicket on the podcast here uh, a few episodes back. Maybe it was last season. Yeah, it was last season where <laughs> you made the... Um, assertion uh, because you are assertive that Jesus did all of his work in the power of the spirit purposefully in order to be our example. You were very, very complete in that. Like you basically, you said everything that he did, he did because the Holy spirit revealed to him. He set aside his divine nature. Am, Am I saying this right? How would you like to phrase it so that I don't mess it up? 
Well, I would rather you mess it up than me mess it up. So then you get criticized instead of me because I'm sure I'll mess it up too. That's why I'm bailing. (laughs) Way to lead from the front, Obama. Um, So there is a somewhat controversial doctrine, sometimes called the kenosis theory, that that Jesus Christ, and it's based off of the passage in Philippians where he emptied himself. And I believe it. Um, I and what flows from my approach to Jesus and the Holy Spirit starts there. So Jesus is God. He always was God, is God now, always will be God. And he was God when he walked on this earth, but he was limited in his aspects as God. God is omnipresent. Jesus was not. Um, I would argue, indeed, that Jesus was not omniscient. Uh, people disagree with me about that, but I would argue that. Um, so Jesus in his earthly form. Prior to resurrection, would you say? Correct. Correct. Okay. So it's not that he wasn't God. It's that he limited aspects of himself as God. How else could, how else could Jesus die? Cause you can't kill God. Right. Mm-hmm. So Jesus had to lay aside some aspects of his divinity without laying aside his divinity. And it's, it, it, it's sort of, you have to hold that intention in your mind. So if that's the case, then it is not an incorrect application of that to say that Jesus laid aside his native power as God when he came. Paul emphasizes the incarnation an enormous amount of the book of Hebrews. So he lays aside his native power as God, and he lives out his life in the power of the Spirit. The Bible says just in one chapter alone, Luke chapter 4, he was led by the Spirit, and in the same chapter it says that he uh, did what he did by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans chapter eight says he was raised from the dead by the spirit. And there are other passages that, that, that add on to that. So if I'm, well, before I get to the next thought, the, the ultimate proof to me that Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy spirit is what's known as the, the unforgivable sin. And this is something that I struggled with. I mean, for, for decades as a Christian trying to figure out, and apparently lots of other people have too. And it was while I was studying through the life of Christ that I saw it in context. So in Matthew chapter 12, the unforgivable sin is when the Pharisees assert that Jesus does what he does in the power of who? Satan. Satan. Correct. And that is blasphemy against whom? God. The Holy Spirit. Ah, uh, the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. There right. you go. So that is the... <laughs> right. That is the proof that Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit, because the, unfor- for, the unforgivable sin was for that generation to reject Jesus Christ on the basis of the Pharisees' argument that what Jesus did, he did in the power of the devil. The Pharisees couldn't explain away what Jesus did. Nobody ever disputed his miracles. Even his, even even when he resurrected Lazarus from the dead, they didn't dispute that. They said, okay, he did it, but he did it in the power of the devil. And obviously he didn't do it in the power of the devil. He did it in the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Holy so Spirit. that is so, the penultimate proof that everything he did, he did in the power of the Spirit. So, you, so you believe then that the that the unpardonable sin is that it's that narrow? Yes, the the unpardonable okay. sin was only could only be committed by that generation, and it was their mm-hmm. embrace of the Pharisees' excuse that Jesus did what he did in the power of, uh, of the devil that allowed them to latch on to explain away. And then every miracle Jesus does after that makes it worse, not better. <laughs> right. True. It's really brilliant of the Pharisees. It, it, it really puts Jesus in a box. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it gave the, the Jews a justification to reject Christ. And that rejection of Jesus Christ was unforgivable. It was unpardonable. And the proof was what happened in AD 70 when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. 
Um, hmm. And I don't wanna, I don't want to get off too much into that, but that's to, to come back to our thought, which is that Jesus did it in the power of the Spirit. So what application does that have for our life? Well, I would say that, again, Paul in Hebrews argues at great length that Jesus Christ is our example, not just in what he did, but in how he did it. Okay. So how did Jesus live holy? Because people say, well, of course he never disobeyed his mom. He was God. Right? Of course he never said a bad word. He was God. Of course he never had a bad thought. He was God. Okay, it's true. He never had a bad thought, and he was God. But he didn't do that in the power, his native power as God. He laid that aside. He lived a holy life in the power of the Spirit, specifically so we could see that as an example for how we can live a holy life because we have the same Holy Spirit. And that's why I think it's really critical to grasp and apply that personally. We're replicating not just what Jesus did, but how Jesus did it. He did it in the Spirit. Would you say that Jesus did anything during his earthly ministry of his own power, or was it 100 dependence, 100%, 100% dependence? Yeah, and I would add to that, like the one illustration I, that made me think of this the other day is Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. Jesus said, I saw thee. Seems to be inferred that Jesus was not physically there, but he saw him. Mm-hmm. That seems to be something that would not be, It would. that's not something that God would allow me to see in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not about living holy. And I would, okay. so A, no, but secondly, I would say the Holy Spirit could certainly tell him that. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit did. Uh, Jesus what is saw the Bible? him, though. I, I, mean, I know, my, like my, point is, my point is, before the Bible was complete, the Holy Spirit revealed things to people all the time. The Holy Spirit could certainly reveal to Jesus what Nathaniel was doing sitting under that tree. Just like the Holy Spirit could reveal, at one point, the Bible says that, that he knew what was in man. And people argue that, that that makes him omniscient, and I disagree. I think the Holy Spirit could reveal to him what someone was thinking, just like the Holy Spirit could reveal to him about where he should go and what he should do. That doesn't, that doesn't so that's mean where, he could do it in the power of the Spirit. And that's where I jokingly said earlier, you got yourself in a sticky wicket, because that's that got a little bit of a pushback when you made that assertion, correct? Right. And and I don't mind pushback on this. Obviously, I think pushback is almost always healthy. But but this is one of those finer points of doctrine, but yet not unimportant, because the practical application of this to sanctification is enormous. If the Holy Spirit, Paul's whole point in Romans chapter 6 is, here's the machinery of holiness. Romans chapter 7 is, this is the monkey wrench in the machine, it's my flesh. Romans chapter 8 is, here's the power that runs the machine, it's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mention the Holy Spirit at all, maybe once in the first seven chapters of Romans, and the first 16 verses of Romans chapter 8, he mentions them like 14 times or something like that, because he's integral to living a sanctified life. And Jesus, what what is it to be holy? It's to be like Christ. Well, I can't do that without the Holy Spirit, because Jesus didn't do it without the Holy Spirit. I guess where people might argue with you is that they might suggest that what you're saying gives wiggle room to the thought that Jesus could not sin, therefore his deity is at stake. Yeah, you're, you're going to get yourself in your own sticky wicket here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that's where people, I think, kind of push back on your theory, though. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm saying... <laughs> I think that's just symptomatic of, of what happens in the internet a lot is you say something and then people jump to the worst conclusion or they do that. Yeah. But what about, and so Tom says, Jesus 100% relied on the Holy spirit for the miracles and his power. And they say, yeah, but 
are you saying that he wasn't God or he, he kind of let go of his divinity? And it's like, no, he's not saying that, you know, you can, you know, Jesus, I believe can willingly not exercise his divine power. It doesn't mean he stopped being God or he could not, but he willfully set that aside, you know, really, really the only question mark there, Martin and Tom is that is what Martin asked earlier, which is, is that a 100% philosophy or was there anything that jesus did i don't think that question matters i mean i I, my answer is 100 percent, but i don't think the answer or the question matters because the point is how am i going to live a sanctified life in the power of the spirit walking in the spirit i'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh that's how jesus did it that's how i do it if i can't preach that application which is clearly biblical yeah no, Jesus, I mean, even in his temptation against Satan, was he, he combated it with Scripture. I mean, he did it the way we do it. Mm. So certainly, certainly the application is is there. I just That's why for someone to try to pin it down so exactly, it's like missing the forest for the trees, right? I could see where you would, where you would say that. Yeah, I could see that. It, sure. And I appreciate those who, who, who want to make sure we don't weaken the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Right. I, I have a healthy respect for that as a criticism. Yes. It's, it's a it's a valid concern that I don't teach and preach something that somehow makes Jesus seem less than God in the eyes mm-hmm. of his people. I don't want to do that. Um, but by the same token, if something's biblical, I don't want to shy from it. This is really, really out of left field, and I'll be sure to get us back on track. But um, we had a conversation a while back about Karl Barth. Do you all remember that? Yes, I, I just read a biography of him just a couple months ago. Right. Okay, so I read your Goodreads thing that you posted about it, right. and I think yes. we may have discussed it a little bit, but didn't he sort of weaken the 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 doctrine of the deity of Christ with some of his beliefs? He weakened everything. He was yeah. Yeah, he, he was okay. brilliant, uh, but he was, and I mean way out of my league, but as I said in that in that Goodreads review, he's brilliant, like a like a bright light pointed in the wrong direction. He was theological word solid, and 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 he he yes he weakened. He he was the leader of the neo orthodox movement. He wants to bridge. He didn't like liberals, but he didn't like fundamentalist you know believers in orthodox doctrine either. So he's going to fix it all, and he fixed it all by essentially weakening it all. Didn't believe in the doctrine of hell. I'm not sure he believed in justification. Um, you know so. Yeah, Karl okay. Barth is a is a bad place he to go a, as as a resource. A statement that um, God is Jesus was very God of very God, yes, very man of very man, yes. And my limited study on his beliefs on that seemed to kind of basically bring me to the conclusion that he wasn't exactly on point biblically with his position on some of that. So but I don't back know. For a minute, who made this statement? Very God of very God and very man of very man. Barth. You're saying Bart made the statement? Yeah. Um, well, I, that is a theologically sound statement. Martin Lloyd Jones makes a very good argument. Essentially, you're saying he was all man and he was all God, and Jesus okay, was one, one person with two natures, divine and human. That's what Barth he said. He was right. The hypostatic okay. union. He he. It's hard to explain, but he was. He was all God and he was all man, yet without sin. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know why I, I brought that up, but it's just because I've been, I actually got a random question about it um, not too long ago. So 
Well, but that phrase, very God of very God, that goes way back before Bartho, doesn't it? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Good to know. So you guys are helping me. It pays to read books. Thanks, fellas. Does Sansa punch someone in the face over that issue, like way back at the Council of whatever it was? That was about as clear as mud there, Brother Wicked. <laughs> yeah, I didn't hear what you said, man. I'm sorry. He said, didn't Brother So-and-so say something at the Council of something or other about that? Uh, like, I'm sure Brother So-and-so did at the Council of something or other say that. No, about no, no. Something. I said, didn't Santa, Santa punch someone in the face over that? Because, uh, you know, very God of very God. It goes back to, um, I can't say the Greek words, but, you know, whether it's homoosis or homoosis, you put the iota, yes. iota in it. And it changes yes. it from being the of the same substance to being a similar substance. Yes. Yes. I knew you guys were smart enough to help me with this. <laughs> we record these on Mondays, can't you tell? Uh, so along with the idea then of the Holy Spirit and Jesus doing all of his work in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, the miracles, et cetera, et cetera. I said it right this time, Tom. Et cetera. Um, et cetera. Yes. Yes. Um, etc. That leads us into how we ought to consider the thought of cessationism and and the the uh, the gifts of the spirit. What has ceased? What has what has continued? Um, and that's a huge topic right now among young leaders. By the way, is cessationism that that is tremendously volatile. Um, because of the recent rise of Martin's friends in the deliverance ministry. <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, strangely, that subject has become very big again. I've been seeing it, seeing it come up and, um, you know, so I think it's worth being, you know, giving some clarity. So Martin, why is it, Martin, why is it that you think, because to me, it's not unclear in the Word of God, and I think the same for you. So why mm -hmm. do you think that so many formerly sound people, I mean, sound doctrinal people, are weakening on, on, on this idea of cessationism and private prayer languages and, you know, deliverance and what the Holy Spirit can do and don't box him in and all that? Why do you think that's happening? I think for one thing, history goes on a cycle, and it's just come around as a topic that's going to be addressed. Um, but I think another reason might be, People are frustrated with the lack of what they perceive as being results. So they're faithful mm -hmm. to what we would believe is orthodox. And in a very pragmatic way, they look at it and say, it's not working. Um, and so they go over to trying something that they think gives a more of a material, visible result. I agree. And that's not the whole reason, but I think it's part of it. I, well, I agree with you. And I also think to add to that, that there is a second generation of Christian leaders. And by that, I mean Christian leaders whose parents were also Christian leaders, pastors, mm -hmm. um, ministry, et cetera. There we go. Um, and as a, re as a result of maybe seeing or, or, or seeing what they perceive as imbalance, I'm going to say this carefully because no generation is perfect. Right. None, none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Okay. No movement right. is perfect. So what they perceive as imbalance, they're overcorrecting a little bit or a lot of it. Yeah. And, and what, you know, there, there were some things that we didn't do in our, and, and my parents' generation wouldn't do. Tom, you could speak to this as well. Um, your dad's a pastor and, and, and you might have seen some of this. 
And they didn't do it because they weren't comfortable with it because they felt it would lead to X. Okay. So, so a lot of then the second generation or in my case, third generation, we perceive that as kind of like a boogeyman thing. The last generation was scared of the boogeyman and he was never there. I don't disagree with any of those, any of that analysis by you, by either of you. I do think that we need to add something to this, which is that um, I think we've done a relatively, and this is being, this is, this is using a very broad brush. So if you want to target me for this, go ahead. I think we've been relatively weak as a movement in teaching doctrine. Uh, You're Mm -hmm. correct. Yeah. So when you're, as you put it a moment ago, Martin, frustrated with the lack of results and, you know, or, or you're, as you mentioned, Stephen, you know, what, well, what's everybody so afraid of? If you haven't chained yourself to the word of God mm-hmm. with, a, with a firm understanding of here's what the Bible teaches about biblical revelation, it stops. Mm-hmm. So unless you believe that it, as, as a core belief, which it should be for every Baptist, the very beginning of our core beliefs, right? The, the mm-hmm. Bible is our sole authority, which means that that revelation stopped. But mm-hmm. unless you believe that, you open yourself up to an enormous number of potential dangers out of sincerity. I would argue guys like Greg Locke are insincere, but I think there are many men who are sincere in their mm-hmm. embrace of weakening maybe that 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 idea of cessationism um, because they haven't chained themselves to the Bible. I think it's maybe connected as well to the appeal of spirituality without what some would term religion. So they don't want organized religion. They want spirituality. Um, well, people, people want to see a move of God, and that's where the sincerity comes in. Like there are people who sincerely want to see God move. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where some of this comes from. Um, on the side of those who are sincere, and and there are some who are just charlatans. Don't um, you know? Don't get me wrong. Right, right. And I, I was talking with someone else today about um, the the downside of the Welsh revivals, um, mm. because Pentecost, the modern Pentecostal movement is tied into the Welsh revival. And I'd, I've read some testimonies of local church pastors who, even at the time of the Welsh revivals that we speak so highly of, were saying, "Okay, yes. hang on now, is this a work of God?" And they got shouted down. There wasn't discipleship. There wasn't follow-up. And bad theology led to Pentecostalism. And so I don't think we're bad today if we see something and we say, okay, hang on now a minute. Is this of God? Um, Let's get some teaching in there. Let's, you know. So I think maybe some of what we're seeing today is a kind of a rehashing of of that. Um, So people are going over to... Mm -hmm you know, an, an abuse of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And again, goes back to what you said, Tom, because it just hasn't been taught on properly. Yeah, that that is an interesting thing to bring up with the Welsh revivals. And it leads me to a question because, for, well, for, for the record, Tori speaks highly of the Welsh revival. Um, mm-hmm. and, I think um, the Welsh revival was good, but it's what yes. it led to. Yeah, okay. Well, then most people today in fundamentalism would say it's all bad. Would they? Look, I'm looking at you, Tom. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> the devil. Okay, so the devil is a master at taking something God does 
and angling it slightly off so it gets progressively and progressively further yeah. away from right and truth. He's done it mm-hmm. all of, I mean, since since time started. And so, yes, I, I, I believe the Welsh revivals were good. I also believe that you find excesses in them toward the end that then can be latched onto by the, the Pentecostal types. Um, and they're missing, they're missing the truth of the matter and latching onto the excess instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so makes me think of in recent days, the Asbury. Oh, Asbury. Yes. That's what I was yeah. trying to think of in my mind as I was thumbing through this book. Um, I can't do two things at once, but you know, I, there were people that were saying, and and I mean, I know people who did entire like YouTube um, videos on why it was not legit. I had I posted a um, a meme from the Babylon Bee, and I don't even remember what it said about it. That made it it poked fun, but it wasn't too far, you know. It, in my opinion, it, I was not malicious in any way, and I had people mad at me because I posted that because they assumed that I was now against the Asbury revival and all of that. Um, they, there were those who said they claimed there was no repentance of sin. Uh, I know people personally who said they went to it to see what it was all about. And they were, there was in fact, repentance of sin going on. Um, there were those who were saying there was no preaching and some contradict that. So I, you know, I didn't preach about it. I mentioned it because it was, it was a big deal and people were asking me about it. And I said, well, I, I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to consider, um, how we should try the spirits. To see the whether they be of God, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, and it, mm-hmm. it was actually a really great opportunity to to preach on that. And uh, A. W. Tozer did a fantastic write up on that. And I straight up told our church, "I'm going to give you what he said." <laughs> I, I, you know, so it's um, interesting you mention him because he was not a cessationist. Ah, really? I didn't Christian know that. Christian Missionary Christian Missionary yeah. Alliance started by A. B. Simpson. A. B. Simpson believed in the gifts of healing in the sense of laying on of hands and healing. Uh, and so the Christian Missionary Alliance did not forbid, it didn't celebrate, we wouldn't call it a Pentecostal denomination, but it right. didn't forbid those sorts of things. Right. And so, but Tozer could still spot a fake and a fraud in that sense when he saw it, even sure. if he didn't line up with us doctrinally in that sense. I think there was a difference from the old school, like R.A. Tory style of Pentecostal and the modern kind of Benny Hens and Greg Locks and barking like dogs. Amy Simple McPherson lived a long time ago and she was a she was as bad as Benny Hen. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean I agree that there's old line Pentecostals that are that are similar to us in lots of respects. Um, and there seems to be less of that, but Pentecostals have always been bad. <laughs> just have right. I mean, I just, <laughs> well theologically and yeah. Since uh, the Sousa Street, they've just been bad. I've got a book on the shelf behind me where um, it, it's it, Pagans and Christians, and he's he's trying. It's a secular writer, academic, very dry book, very deep, thorough book. He's trying to explain why Christianity beat paganism, but in the in the in the Roman Empire, in the process, he gives extensive proof for gl- how do you say it? glossolia glossolia, which is speaking mm-hmm. in this unknown language. It happened mm-hmm. all the time two thousand years ago. It's not brand new. It's no, the no, I doing Paul it. wrote about it. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so the, the interesting thing is, so is it wasn't about what the sign gifts were. Do you think we should specify what the sign gifts are? Sorry, sorry, Stephen. I just had a question. <laughs> was Tozer reformed? Was he Calvinist? No. Really? I thought he was. No. I've I read so two biographies of him. I haven't read his preaching, but I've read two biographies of him, and I don't remember Calvinism at all. Okay. 
He was a mystic. That had its own problems. Brother Wickens, oh. you're, you're, I think your point is a good one. We should define what the sign gifts are. So since you brought yes. it up, let's, let's, Brother Russ and I will sit here and listen. Hey, I asked a question. This isn't right. No, so the, the best way to get out of discussing something on this podcast is be the first to the question. And Tom, yeah, you're right. good at it. I'm better, but Martin's picking up on it, man. I have a natural excuse to be able to do it because I'm kind of like the one who's supposed to I'm keep facilitating the conversation. Going, the conversation. You know? Yeah, and when Tom doesn't want to answer the question, he asks it. So, yeah, I got yeah. it. Okay, so this isn't a comprehensive um, list. So I'll kind of hedge my bets there a little bit. And it's neither to say that God wouldn't do these things again, but the regular practice of them. I believe the sign gifts were, firstly, they were gifts that were given to authenticate the message of the speaker. Um, and I, I believe they were primarily apostolic. You know, the, the authors of scripture, God was saying, their message is true, their message is from me. Um, I know that there were others that spoke in tongues and things, but it was authenticating the message. With the closed canon of scripture, there's no longer a need to authenticate the message, the message is self-authenticating. And those sign gifts I would look at as being um, speaking in tongues, gifts of healing, raising the dead. Um, and so that's the, you know, and I know there are lists in the scripture that, you know, maybe we'll get to in a moment, but that would be my initial kind of foray into that answer. And we would all three of us believe I want to speak for you too, but I think I think you would believe this, that 1 Corinthians 13 is referencing the word of God when it says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is done away. I believe so. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that whole that, in part, that, that, whole, that whole phrase, when you said that in part there through the book of 1 Corinthians, it's that idea, what you just explained, Martin, that you're authenticating the message. So a brother gets up in church and he says, God is speaking. And he used that process of tongues to identify the fact that God's authenticating this as a message from God. But once the Bible is complete, if we want to receive a message from God, we open up scripture. Mm-hmm. So do you guys think that the gifts of the spirit in First Corinthians 12 are our sign gifts? No, not necessarily. Okay, so for one, it says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of the tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. Faith is still abiding. That's a gift of the mm-hmm. Spirit in that in that list. It's not done. Okay. So that list is both partly done and partly not. That would be my answer. Don't you see, though, how we get these controversies when there are texts like that? And I'm not oh, blaming yeah. God. I'm just saying our our finite you know understanding. It's like, how do we know? Well, you well, know, by comparing Scripture Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Tom. I just, you know, so... Do we need the gift of revelation to give us more of the word of God? No. Do we have a gift of understanding and teaching the word? I would say that's still applicable. Mm-hmm. And so if you start out with the basis that we have a closed canon of scripture, and then you mentioned before where Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit was come, he'll lead you into all truth. And I think primarily that was speaking to the apostles who were there at the time, who were the recipients of God's word. And 
the final apostle to die, we believe, was John, and he was the only one who gave the warning, don't add or take away from it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I believe that God in principle does lead us into all truth, but I think primarily he was speaking to the apostles. And so when the final one in that immediate surrounding died, you know, the canon was closed. And there's other reasons to believe that, I know, but um, yeah, that's good so point. then again, the the gifts are in relation to how we use what we've got and, and the, the authenticating of a new message isn't needed. So you're, you were a good illustration right there, Martin, of what I was about to say to Stephen and answer his question. Cause he said, well, how do we go through this list and discern what's, what's still true and what isn't? And my answer was going to be compare scripture with scripture, which you just did in your, in your, in, in your application, Martin, you're taking, here's this scripture. And when you apply it, to this other scripture over here, it makes sense and it shows us what we're supposed to believe and thus what we're supposed to practice. And it's not that, you know, I'm not, I'm not against commentaries preaching all of that. I'm for study all of that, but it's the word of God. When you, when you, when you compare it to itself, it limits itself. That's what, that's the whole idea of context, right? I can't just take a passage, a verse and just pull it out. What is it? Andrew Murray said, revelation is, is, Truth doesn't stand in isolated blocks. It stands in continuous context, yeah. building a revelation of God. Yeah. It's, it's a mm-hmm. wall, and I have to look at the, the entirety of that wall. And so often the people who embrace the sign gifts, they cherry pick this and they cherry pick this, just like the prosperity gospel types, which not coincidentally go together hand in hand with that. They pull this passage from the Old Testament, this from the Old Testament entirely out of its context. And when you do that, when you don't compare scripture to scripture and interpret scripture by scripture, you can get yourself really badly off in the weeds. Yes. Oh, that's great. That, that's good. I mean, I, you know, okay, let's, let me ask this question. So what is the role of this, the Holy Spirit as it relates to discerning the, the practical outworking of God's will in our individual lives? Okay. So, you know what I'm going to ask, Tom, and our, our friend, Dave Malinick, um, out in Utah has written extensively lately on this. Uh, I, my tweet was featured in one of his articles. He didn't credit me and I don't blame him. He was trying to be kind because we disagreed on something. Um, but uh, he's a gentleman and he's also very, you know, he's got a, he's got a, a great, uh, great approach. One of the things that we've kind of kicked around between ourselves, we've kicked around on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it is does the Holy Spirit lead us in making earthly decisions throughout our lives that are not clearly spelled out in scripture? I brought up the one about, you know, I believe I married the right woman. I think I knew that because God gave me peace about that. I think I had peace about that because I believe the Holy Spirit's the one that gave me the peace. But Dave and Tom, to a degree, tell me I can't do that. Um, yeah, that's that. Necessarily uh, true. What I said is I got, the same illustration. How do I know I have married the right woman because I'm married? That's a terrible answer. No, I, it's the absolute right answer. It, well, okay, but before I was married, before I was uh, married, I have a list. In fact, it's in the office uh, next door of 62 reasons why I wanted to marry her, and none of them were wrong. And so then, so she was, she was, but, but the way that you, you approach that is, is that she was one of many who you could have potentially married and been in the will of God. Well, otherwise you're saying there's only one. So what happens if that one marries the wrong person? Does that mean you're out of the will of God the rest of your life? Because the one you, you were supposed you to marry, marry the wrong person. 
sure, you can marry against the word of God, what the word of God says. Marry an unbeliever, yes. that's marrying outside of the will of God. Okay, here, here's where I have a problem with this approach, and I wouldn't— Wait, wait, should know. we give Martin, like, a whistle first so he can, like, just blow the whistle <laughs> and stop the match? No, 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 give him a bell. <laughs> well, no, see, I, I'm staying quiet because the illustration that Stephen used, I sent to him in a private message because I couldn't be bothered to deal with Twitter, and I was like, here, yeah, this is what I was thinking. No, no, I was busy reading the Bible, so I'm like, hey, Stephen, this is, this is some ammunition you can use. Ouch. But no, I, I, I have the same question. I'm like, okay, if you've got, you know, there's you know, three billion women in the world, and then you take that down to, you know, yeah. this many who meet this criteria. Okay, who's saved? All right, so you take that number down, and then you reduce the criteria more and more and more until you say, okay, there are 7,000 who meet this criteria. Any one of them will do. Uh, how, and I'm being very brutal in the, the wording of it. Um, is it okay then to turn around and say, well, any one of them would have been okay, uh, you know, but this is this is the wife I have. <laughs> okay, well, I'm let me ask you this. Little, but. Is, is the will of God for my life dependent on what another person does? I see where you're going with this. Yeah, and Martin does too, and he's trying to find a way not to answer it. <laughs> no, I would say to a degree, no. <laughs> I think you're responsible to obey God for your part. Correct. So if there's only one woman that I can, to me, this is not a good illustration of the whole point of does the Holy Spirit lead you? Right. Yes. Right. It's not. It's not. It's not. So that's well, the weeds. The Holy Spirit does lead us. Let's but, let's take it to a safer illustration. A safer illustration. How do you know that your pastor in the right church, that okay, you're in the right that's, church? That's a be much in? better illustration. I have, I have another one. Well, wives are going to get upset, or uh, yeah, you know. I, no, I have another one. We we recently had a missions conference or mission Sunday, and one of the missionaries said, "I never intended to be a missionary. I never wanted to be a missionary, but one day I was teaching in a Christian school, and that evening I went home and studied." to teach the next day on the life of Adoniram Judson. And he said, I, I suddenly, it was as if I couldn't put the book down. He wasn't talking about like spooky, but he was like, I just became very ingrained in this. I read the whole book and he said, by two o'clock in the morning, I knew God wanted me to be a missionary in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. I just knew it. So you're asking me if I agree or disagree with that. Well, I would, I'm saying that I, I think the way that you and others have articulated it, you would disagree that that's okay for him so, to say. I don't think I would disagree with it. What I would say is this. There are levels of certainty yes. in what God tells me. And okay. both of you guys know where I'm going with this, but since our listeners mm -hmm. don't, let me just go a little further down the road. When I open up Genesis 1 and I read to Revelation 22, I am 100% sure that is the yes. inerrant, inspired, infallible, preserved word of God. Right. So I know that's exactly what, what God wants to tell me because it's in black and white right there. Once right. I close that book, does God still lead me in specific ways outside of that book or in ways not yeah. revealed in that book? The answer to that is yes. I believe the Holy Spirit guides us. I, I don't believe guidance is a sign gift. I believe the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Mm -hmm. But I cannot be as certain about those things as I am about what I find in the pages of Scripture. Fair. I'm, I'm I, fine I with that. I'm fine with that. What I what I think is I think the way that 
Like when you say, well, I know my wife is God's will for my life because I'm married to her. I'm like, that practically does not help a young man who is seeking for the will of God in, in a marriage relationship. Oh, it absolutely does because um, it sends him back to the word of God to find the principles by which he should choose who he wants to spend his life with rather than uh, sitting well, there and now, waiting, rather than sitting yeah. there and waiting for some bird to whisper in his ear or the planets to line up or for okay. God speak to me. God already spoke to you. It's in the book of Proverbs. Go study it. Mm-hmm. But again, that leads you to a wide swath of potential candidates. And I don't, that there beyond that. Okay. Beyond that, here's what I'll say. I think the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person actually means that if his, if in the idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, the old timers use the word paraclete to mm-hmm. come alongside. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that seems to be the accurate interpretation of what the text teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And if he's alongside of us, then I think the Holy Spirit is capable of impressing. I'm, oh, let me use that word. No, I, I agree us. with that. I'm not afraid of that. I agree with that. Whether or not it's a mission field or a calling or... Or walk uh, across the street and witness to that person. Correct. So, you know, I I hear men of God say, I believe the Holy Spirit led me to do this. And yes. I take their word for it. Now, again, I'm with you. I'm with you when you say that is not as sure as the words of Scripture. 100%. Right. What I have heard recently, whether in so many words or in exact words, is that to say so denies the sufficiency of Scripture. And that's not fair. I think that's as unfair of an, of, a, of an accusation as to say my belief that Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit weakens the divinity of Christ. Okay. It's it's yeah. an extension in the wrong it, – it's an unfair characterization of where right. that would lead. Well, and, and personal testimony, I don't think – I don't think that um, when I when I felt as if God – and I use the word feel. I know it's not a good word here, but I felt as if God was leading me to pursue my wife – before we were married in a, and to establish a relationship so that we could get to know each other. And eventually we got engaged, got married and, and, and God, God led on all of that. I could point to specifically as I'm sitting down and reading passages of scripture, God or the Holy spirit, I would say basically saying this passage is for what you're thinking about right now, what you're dealing with in this relationship right now. I mean, there were things that I had questions about and I'm like, Lord, I need peace from your word. So I go to, I go to the word of God and God gives me assurance through his word so that I can make now her name's not in there. The exact situation's not in there, but it was amazing how many times the word of God popped off of the page at me as I was reading it. I I have no problem with that. As long as you don't give it that same level of, Oh, I don't. So uh, let me give you an example. In one of the churches I was in in the past, there was a, a trend going around of a God loves me sign. My God loves me sign. It's a cardinal. My God loves me sign. It's a rainbow. My God loves me sign. It's a Ford Pinto. You know, if I see this, I know God loves me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it okay. irked the fire out of me because the way I know God loves me is because the Bible tells me in First John chapter 4 that when God sent Jesus to die for us, that's the greatest demonstration of love ever. So my God loves me sign. Yes. Careful. <laughs> But my point there is, is if you really want to know God loves you, open up the pages of the Bible, then you'll know. I'm not against you yeah. getting comfort from God being good to you by doing something for you, but it's not near that same level of certainty. The way I know something is it's in the pages of Scripture. That's how I know something. Would, would, it, would you say it's wrong to put out a fleece? Uh Yes. But that, but that's a different answer. I don't. I, well, I see what you're saying because, in a sense of guiding, yes, I yeah, think it how, is. How am I supposed I, to know? 
Yeah, I don't think you know what I, I, mean? I, yeah, that's that's a great. So expand on that. Oh, for okay. So because I know where you're going. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, totally. Uh, not not something that actually happened in my life. But if I had said, okay, Lord, um, you know, I I think this is the woman that you want me to marry, and and I believe it, but I'm not sure, so I'm going to put out a fleece. Now you can get ridiculous with that, but you say, um. You know, show me a sign of of sorts, and you establish some parameter like Gideon did. I, I actually, I kind of think it was wrong for Gideon to put out a fleece, which is why my answer was no. It, 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 <laughs> it, it's but, testing God, period. And so I I see why the pushback on it. I just don't like the the totality in which it is written or spoken that there, that God can never lead me. I'll give another example. Um, I, I do chaplain work, and and there was an incident where a young man was killed on a on a, a vehicle, and another young man was with him, and he was in bad shape. And myself and another guy were leaving the hospital, uh, one of the officers, and and we asked the head surgeon, you know, what are his chances? And the and the man said, um, the the doctor said he's not going to make it. And I remember in that moment, and you can say what you want because I again I could have been wrong, but I had this overwhelming, like leading to pray in my heart, almost as if it was like the Holy Spirit saying, oh no, he's not going to die. Now that's personal. That's, I'm not saying it happens the same way for everybody, but I remember bowing my head right there and those guys are still talking and just in my heart saying, Lord, please heal this young, this 16 year old boy. And I'm not kidding. Like within three days, he was a different person. Now I don't take credit for that. I think in that moment, that's where, for instance, it says to one is given the spirit by the spirit, the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge to another faith I think that was a moment in which the Holy Spirit gave me faith to believe that God could do a miracle. I didn't heal him. I don't believe in laying on of hands. It's not a charismatic moment. I believe, though, in that moment that the Holy Spirit led me to pray for a certain outcome. And if and if the outcome had not happened, I would have given that to God. So I, I don't believe I elevated it to the level of Scripture. But what you guys, I say you guys, but but guys who take this tone of of like narrow, rigid, there's no margin here for this. I think they've seen a terrible examples of people abusing that statement of God led me, God told me, God told me to mm. preach this tonight, and it's an unbiblical message. God told me to say this, and it was a harsh right. statement. So right. I get it. I'm just saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I guess and my not- response is just don't put, and I'll be quiet now because I really want to hear what Martin has to say, <laughs> just don't put that same level of certainty on God told me and God said to me yes. as when you open up that the pages of the of the King James Version and see what God had to actually say. Uh, now, Brother Wickens, I'll be quiet because I really want to hear what you're going to say. No, I mean, all I would say is it seems like that the problem is there is a, a spectrum where we agree and then there's extremes either side where we disagree. And, you know, where some would err on the side of saying what I believe God leads me to isn't the same in authority as the Bible, but I still believe that I pray about something and God gives me peace. And I'm like, yes, that's this is the direction I should take. Um, You know, I've got peace about being a pastor, but the Lord hasn't called me to be a missionary or or a traveling evangelist or whatever else may be. And there, there's biblical guidance, but there's also a piece that I know, okay, this is what God wants me to do. I don't put on the same level as the Bible, but I think there is also that inexplicable element to it. I'll give you And, that. yeah. 
I'll give you an example of something that I think that, yeah, you guys might disagree with. Definitely some of our listeners will probably. But for instance, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, when Paul prayed and essayed to go and the Holy Spirit forbade him, um, I don't think that was a sign gift. I don't think that was a an apostolic thing. I, I think that the Holy Spirit is <laughs> shaking his head. You, I don't think that's something that, that... You can't use that as normative because scripture's not no, done No, 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 no. Well, I wasn't done. I wasn't done. Okay. I All don't right, think... I don't think that that's normative because I think in the sense that we we can so easily neglect the word of God if we if we're not reading our Bibles and if we're not following God and if we're not looking for leading from his word, then we shouldn't be praying for leading from his spirit. Oh, that's good. Amen. 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 Paul, Paul was seeking for God to open doors so that he could do what the word of God commanded all of us to do, which was to fulfill the Great Commission. And so I think that as long as we're in line with the word of God, pursuing things that like he that, you know, going back to the spouse thing, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. Well, it also means she has to be a good wife. She needs to be a godly wife. In other words, you know, if you're pursuing that and the Holy Spirit of God leads you in a direction, I think you can have peace to say, that's what I need to do at this time. And I, and yes, the, the, the will of God is more of a what than a where or a who or, or, or a job or whatever. I get that. But I don't want to limit the will of God so much that we completely push those things out that he can't lead us to do that. I understand. I don't disagree with that. So, yeah. That, and this is one of those things. I'm myself of that. <laughs> I know that we have, you know, we need to bring this to a close. But yes. this is one of the things I'm really curious to see what our listeners, not just how they hear the discussion, but their own their own perspective on this because there are there are shades to this there are there are perspectives on this um that i think i'd be very curious i I wish i could get all of our listeners in a room and say okay so tell me how do you see this because i think i think there's there would be a lot of wisdom there so if you're listening to this and and you think i'm all wet or you think i'm right or you think i'm partly wet partly right uh, tell me tell me what you think I, i i i think i could learn i guess is what i'm saying yeah, Martin, you have anything to add to that? I think it's interesting. As um, specific as we generally tend to be, I feel like this is one of those areas where there's a little bit of room for flexibility. Absolutely not put in anything above scripture or even equal with scripture. But I think there is a, a part of this which is hard to nail down. Mm-hmm. Great is the mystery of godliness. Amen. Amen. Well, that that about wraps things up for today. Appreciate our listeners checking this episode out. As Tom said, we'd love to hear your feedback and honest feedback would would be the most appreciated. Um, and uh, we've we can handle it. We're men. <laughs> we, we've had it before. But uh, as always, thanks for listening, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we hope that you'll share this episode with somebody who could use it. God bless you.